be seated. Well, good morning. It is a good morning. So did your parents, or did you ever say to your parents, what do you expect? Did you ever say that? Well, I did. Why, why did you say that? You probably said that because you felt like you had, uh, they had undue expectations. Or that you failed them in some way. What do you expect? Maybe you even thought, I did my best, but that wasn't good enough. So I want you to think about those words, what do you expect, in terms of your relationship with the Lord? What does He expect? Lots of different opinions on that. You know, I've, I've watched a lot of... Uh, YouTube things on the Amish and the Mennonites. And the Amish in particular, you know, when you think of Amish, what do you think of? Buggies. Buggies, you know, bonnets, beards, funny-looking dresses, funny-looking haircuts. Uh, some of them permit their people to ride bicycles that's really radical if you can if you can ride a bicycle no they would never allow a tv not any of them would allow that maybe some of them have a cell phone some of them have a phone where you there's one place where you go to, to the phone every family doesn't get a phone but you go to one place to make a phone call uh, i saw one woman who was disciplined because she put a pin in the back of her dress back here to hold her dress together. The pin was forbidden. I think, well, where did they come up with that? <laughs> you know, I think if I, if I was one of them, I would say, what do you expect? And where did you get what you believe about what you expect? You know, when I was a boy growing up, uh, the Catholic kids that I knew, they could do anything. They could drink, they could dance, they could do whatever they wanted to do, they could cuss, it didn't matter. But the Baptist kids that I was associated with, you couldn't do anything. Couldn't dance. Oh, dancing was just, oh man. You probably remember me saying, my mom said to me one time when I wanted to go to a dance, she said, will you talk to Jesus about it? <laughs> they, could, they could play pit. Did you ever hear the card game Pit. They could play pit, but they couldn't play with regular playing cards because the devil was the ace of spades. Maybe it was originally. I don't know. I don't know where they got that. But uh, So often, Christianity is defined by what not to do. You can't do this. You can't do that. Rather than the positives of the faith. So what does God expect of you? When you fail, let me say it this way, when you sin, what is God's response to that? Does He care? 
I think all of us would agree that he cares, and yet we would probably disagree about what his response to that is. I want us to look at John chapter 13, if you brought a Bible or if you want to look on with your cell phone or whatever. John chapter 13, verses 33 to 35. Jesus says, My children, talking to his closest followers, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. For you will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. I kind of want to put on the end there, and not yet. <laughs> a new command, notice that, a new command I give you, love one another as, what? As I have loved you. In other words, he's the example of the way that we are to love. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The identifying mark of a follower of Christ is that he or she loves people as Jesus loves people. That's how we know they're a Christian. So this morning, I'm just going to ask a whole bunch of questions. There's more fill-ins today than you've ever seen in your life. First question is, what does Jesus know? So if I, if I say to you, Victor, my name is Stan Simmons. Uh, I'm 76 years old. I haven't always looked like this. Uh, I'm pretty healthy. I don't have a lot of money. I love Jesus. Uh, I'm married to Ginger. I have three kids, eight grandkids and two great-grandkids, three, one's in heaven. So what about you? What's the most important thing that I should know about you? So, you know, you could, you could reel off a whole lot of things, and because I know you, I would probably know many of those things. What's the most important thing that someone would want to know about you? Now, the next text I want to look at is just the first part of that same chapter, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. I've underlined in my Bible, Jesus knew. What did he know? He knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the fullest extent of his love. Many translations say he loved them to the end. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, there's those words again, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So this might seem elementary to you, and yet I think we need to be reminded of a lot 
Where did Jesus come from? John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So we all know that Christmas was not where Jesus' life began. Born as a baby, but He came from heaven. Where is he going? According to this text of Scripture, he's going to the Father. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Who is he? Talk about... Sometimes kids will say, my dad's bigger than your dad, or my dad can whip your dad, or whatever, you know, when you're a little kid. Top this one. Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. He left heaven, came to earth for you, suffered an unimaginable death, was raised from the dead, Returned to the Father, and Paul puts it this way, he said that he is seated in heavenly realms far above all rule, all authority, all power, every name that is named. In other words, there is no power, there is no authority that is higher than Jesus. You can't top that one. God in the flesh. What is about to take place when Jesus said these words that we just read? He's just about to go to the cross, isn't he? So, in a few hours, he will be executed in a way that is so bizarre, bizarre that it's unimaginable. I can't even talk publicly, openly with you about all the things that happened during crucifixion. It was a horrendous way. Crucifixion was actually uh, invented brought into being by the Persians 500 years before Jesus was born. And the Russian, uh, the Russians, the Romans adopted the practice of crucifixion because it was the most horrific way that they could kill people and instill fear in their population so that they would stay in line. There was one inst instance where the Romans executed 6,000 people in one day. Now imagine lining up crosses side by side, 6,000 of them. I read the other day it would be like the distance between Portland and Seattle. All crucified in one day. God came to this earth and subjected himself to the most horrific punishment that man could think of. He knows that's coming when he says these words. Just a few hours, he'll go to the cross. Next question is, who is about to betray him? Judas. We don't know much about Judas, really. We know that he was the keeper of the money, that he objected when uh, 
Jesus allowed very, very expensive perfume to be poured on him by a woman who was a sinner. She was doing that as an act of worship. Apparently, the disciples, the other disciples, didn't suspect anything of Judas. And when Jesus said, there's one among you who will betray me, they didn't all say, oh, we know who that is. They had no idea who it was. Some of them said, oh, gosh, it's not me, Lord. So apparently, he, he, uh, he was a pretty good hypocrite. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. So Jesus knew while Judas was walking with him that Judas would betray him. And yet he treated him like all the rest of the disciples. Gave him every opportunity. Who will deny him? Well, we know Peter. Peter said, when Jesus said, one of you will deny me, he said, not me. You know, I, I, I know maybe, he, maybe Tim could, but not me. And Jesus said, an amazing thing. How would you like to have Jesus say this to you? Before, the, before tomorrow morning concludes, you will have denied me three times. Grove, you would find that unimaginable for yourself. Would you say, no, Lord, I would never betray you. And yet he was put in a situation where he did. Knowing who he is, how would you expect him to act? That is, knowing who Jesus is, knowing what he knows about the Father, about his future, about the other disciples. How would you expect him to act? You're going to deny me. You're going to betray me. How would you expect him to act? This is one of the greatest examples in the Bible of you know, when people say to me something like, well, you're not hard enough on sin, or you take sin too lightly, you, you, uh, you should go after people for sin. I always, I always just think, well, read the New Testament. Where do you find the meanness and the harshness that's coming from you right now? I don't see it there. You know the people who Jesus got mad at? were religious people who thought he ought to be harder on sin. That's incredible, isn't it? So the second major question is, what does Jesus do? We know what he knows. What does he do? If I, if I followed you around, Rick, all week, I'd find out what kind of a father you are, I have some I have some assumptions about you, but I if I followed you for a week every place you went, I'd know what kind of a husband you are, what kind of a father you are, what kind of employee you you are, what kind of a friend you are. I'd know how you spend your money. Probably know what some of your major priorities are. Follow somebody around for a week, it'd tell you a lot about them. I'd know how you treat people. 
How important is that? How important is it how we treat people? Jesus said it was the most important thing. God does his, I have this on my, on my computer at home, God does his best work in an atmosphere of love. That's where he works best. Jesus loved in a remarkable way. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. As I said, one, one translation, or many translations say he loved them to the end. Actually, this NIV translation is the best because it really communicates what the word means. You say he loved them to the end, it would mean, you know, he loved them when they started following him, he loved them right up to the end, right when he left the earth. Well, that's true, but that's not what that word is saying. It's, it's the word teleos, which means the, something aimed at as the limit, so the full extent of something. In other words, if you're thinking about love, there, there are uh, degrees of love. He, here's the maximum degree of love. That's how he loved them. It's not that he loved them for a long time, it's that he loved them as much as they could be loved, as much as he could love. It's remarkable. Jesus did a remarkable thing, and I, I don't know that we get the full impact of it, though we understand it, we've heard it many times, that Jesus walked in the room and noticed that there wasn't a slave to wash people's feet. It's a very practical thing. It's not a spiritual thing like we some some people look at it today. It's a very practical thing. They're, they had crap all over their feet. You want to you want to recline at the table, <laughs> lay down with somebody's feet sticking in your face with dung all over them. It's a very practical thing. So the disciples walked in and said, "Where's this, where's the slave?" And Jesus walked in the room and took the basin and wash their feet. That would be normal for a servant, but it wouldn't be normal for God. You wouldn't think that God would take the place of a servant and wash people's feet. And of course, Peter responded that way. God is going to wash my feet? No way. He knew who Jesus was. Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he had, with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said, Lord, you are washing my feet? Jesus answered, said to him, what I'm, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but you will after this. So when he had washed their feet, take it taking his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? So he, you've heard me say this probably 25 times. He went around the table, 12 people, Simon's still there, and he comes to James and John and he washes their feet, comes to Peter who's about to deny him. He knows he's going to deny him and he washes his feet. He knows that all of them are going to walk away. They're all going to run in a few hours. 
but he washes every one of their feet. He comes to Judas, who's about to deny him, about to, about, about to betray him, I should say, and he washes his feet. That's remarkable to me. How come you're not hard on sin? Well, Jesus gave Judas every opportunity. He loved him with the full extent of his love. The third major question is, what does Jesus ask of me? What does a follower of Jesus look like? You know, if you sat down and wrote a list of ten things that you would describe a follower of Jesus, what would they be? We'd probably assume that they'd go to church. We'd probably assume that they read their Bible every day. We'd probably assume that they give generously. We'd probably assume that, uh, that they love people, that there might be some habits that other people have that they wouldn't have. How can you tell if somebody is a follower of Jesus? My, my wife, Ginger, was brought up not in her home, but her grandparents were Pentecostal holiness people that were very rigid and Ginger was very pretty, late teens, early 20s. Went to Grandma's house, and the whole family was gathered there, and Ginger had, was dressed very nicely, had her hair fixed real nice, had makeup on. And when they sat down to eat, her Grandma turned to her and said, well, we know one person that can't pray for the food today. Why? Because she didn't look like a religious person in her Grandma's eyes. Jesus said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is, nor is he who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What does Jesus ask of me? Jesus asks of me, not that I wash your feet, Jesus asks of me that I humbly serve people because that's what he did a new command I give you love one another as I've loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another and then he talks about a new command actually you go back in the Old Testament you'll find instructions about loving God and loving people it's a new command in the sense that it's a fresh approach to an old command. Love as I have loved you. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's in the Old Testament. And the phrase, love one another. How do you do that? Well, the New Testament teaches us love your neighbor. We all know the story of the Good, good Samaritan. Most of us do anyway. Man's going down the road, and robbers beat him. He's, he's almost dead. A priest comes by and sees him there. Well, I wonder what he did. Walks on. Levite comes by. One of the elders in the church comes by. Gosh, he's in trouble. And then a third man comes by, a Samaritan, who would be the last person in the world 
that they would want to be like. They were despised. He stopped, bandaged up the man, took him to town, gave him a place to stay, and said, I'll come back later and check on you. Everything's paid for. Everything's covered. The question is not, are you my neighbor? Are you my neighbor? Are you my neighbor? Are you my neighbor? The question is, am I a neighbor? That includes whoever we're able to touch. Am I your neighbor? You've heard me talk about the naughty lady. Remember me talking about the naughty lady? She lived next to Ginger and I, and she was she was a promiscuous woman. <laughs> every Saturday night, every Friday night, she'd have some different guy staying overnight with her. And Ginger and I decided early on that she was going to be our neighbor. Did the best we could to love her. You may remember I mentioned it once, I think, about the man who lived down below us when we first got married. He was an old man. He couldn't. He never came out of the house, and his weeds were growing. His lawn was growing up. And so I decided, well, I'm going to go down and mow his lawn every week. So I did. About the third or fourth time I did it, he came out and chewed me out because I wasn't doing something he wanted him to. He wanted me to do. I got to love my neighbor. <laughs> I kept mowing his lawn. When I... When I borrowed a woman's snowblower and then accidentally started up and the auger was pointed toward her and I covered her with snow. <laughs> she probably wondered if I loved her as my neighbor. And he says, love your enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I, I thought, when I read this the other day, I thought, I'm going to put some practical application of this. So I sat and thought, I wonder who hates me. Now I know you can't imagine anyone hating me, can you? <laughs> but I thought of three people that I don't know if they still do, but at one point they hated me. And I didn't really understand fully. One of them to this day hates me. And uh, the fruit of hatred is demonstrated in every way of his, in his life. He's, he looks much older than he is. He's all bent over and crippled up, and the bitterness is literally eating him up. And I thought, why did they hate me? What did I do to try and help them overcome their hatred for me? And I honestly say, it says, love your enemy. I don't like any of those three people. There's not much likable there. But I really do want God's best for them, and I would help them in any way I could. It's practical. Then the phrase, love by my actions, not simply by my words. When I was growing up in our family, I don't remember. My mom probably said, I love you. I, I know she did when I was in my early 20s, but growing up, I'm not sure that she did. I don't remember my dad ever saying that, and I'm not mad at him about it. It was just part of the culture at that time. Just, men just didn't say, I love you. Now men say that all the time. There was somebody the other day, I don't even remember who it was right now, but I said to them, I, I love you. And they're, they're a little bit 
startled for a second. Men, you know, are so funny because it's okay, it's okay to say I love you and put your arm around them and hug them as long as you do pat, 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 and then walk away. <laughs> you, know, you don't want them to think you love them in the wrong way. <laughs> Loving by our actions is much more effective. And then the phrase, love as Jesus loves me. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are tempted to ask people to get it together. Get it together before we really love them. Our kids, get it together. Measure up. People at work, not going to love you unless... You're lovable. Get your act together. Jesus loved us as we were, as we are. There are many reasons for him not to love us, certainly. But this is one of the most amazing. How does Jesus treat us consistently? It isn't dependent upon our behavior. Now, does he care when we sin? Absolutely. And all of us have experienced that overwhelming sense of conviction that comes, not condemnation, conviction that comes when we're not doing the right thing. But in the midst of that, he's loving us as we are. The book that Jim referred to this morning, The Cure, it's really what it's all about is that God loves us as we are. He doesn't wait for us to get cleaned up. In fact, while we're in the process of getting cleaned up, He still loves us and loves us and loves us and loves us. And I'm so grateful for that. So the last phrase I have, I think it's on your outline, is knowing who He is. This is the sermon. Knowing who He is, I am to love like He loves me. That's what Jesus expects. He expects me to live in His love, knowing who He is, and then he expects me to love people like he loved me. Not waiting till I got my act together, but loving me where I am. Noble to talk about, but sometimes very difficult to do, isn't it? So bow your heads and I'm going to ask you a couple of, couple of more questions. What is Jesus saying to you today? Is there something that has come to your mind as I've talked this morning that he's nudging you about that there might be some adjustment to make? Do you appreciate his love? Knowing who he is and how he treats you and knowing what you deserve. Are you grateful for his love? Are you being asked to love him more through words and actions? Maybe love people more through words and actions. Maybe there's a specific person or a particular group of people that Jesus is asking you to love. You can think of all kinds of reasons not to. And if I followed you around all week, I'd find all kinds of reasons for you not to be loved too, and me too. I encourage you to think of one person that you can express your love to this week that hasn't measured up yet in your eyes. 
I say, do you appreciate his love? I want to ask if there's anyone here this morning who has not yet. Jesus has his hand extended to you, but you've not yet reached out and taken his hand and said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to love you. I want to serve you. If you've not done that yet, would you just lift up your head and look at me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to acknowledge with you that today is your day to receive Christ. Lord, thanks for your love. It's, it's just hard to believe sometimes that 